the interviews have returned. We speak to the chief operating officer of the new Gastonia Atlantic League franchise. You won't want to miss this episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. Welcome back to another edition of the Indie Ball Report podcast, episode number 86 of this show. We are rapidly approaching the number 100, and in about, what would that be, about three and a half months we'll be there, so in the new year, and that's, yeah, that's, it's extremely exciting to see that milestone, then I believe right around that same time will be uh, the two-year anniversary of the show, so a lot of stuff on the horizon there. Yeah, no, that definitely exciting uh, stuff on the horizon. As somebody who has been here, as somebody who has been a co-host for all one for all almost one hundred episodes, I uh, mean, it mean it just means it means a lot to me. A hundred, I definitely see what you're saying because I mean, uh, you've been here whether in spirit, even when I didn't know you were a person, you were here. You were the guy That's I had right. in mind, even when you weren't in the mind. I mean, that's the only way, that's the only way you can you can define it. Like, really, it's the only way that this this whole show operates. Really, when it comes down to it, but uh, I suppose uh, I should stop beating around the bush, or we should stop beating around the bush because we have a really exciting interview this week. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, we just did it about an hour ago or so. Man, it's about an hour and a half ago as we record this now, and uh, we talked with David Martin, the COO of the Gastonia franchise. Really nice guy, uh, really good interview, really excited for you guys to hear it, and currently in my mind, I'm debating if we should just jump right into it, or if I should make you guys suffer and have to listen to the rest of the show with bated breath about the quality of this interview, which, might I say, is top-notch. You know, Nick, I think I think we should just give the people what they want. The, the, people, the people came here for the interview... And I, I, I think it, it would be it would be good for us to go right into the interview. That was awesome, and we both I I, I can speak for you as well that we both had a uh, that we both had an absolute blast c- conducting. So you know what, Nick? I, I think we should give the people what they want. Well, I'm not going to argue with that. It was a blast, and it's very rare that you have a guest be the one that says, "I want to come back on the show again." Normally, we have to invite them back on. They're more than willing to do so. But this time, the guest wants to come back on midway through next year. And so uh, when you have a guy that's that excited to do the show and puts forth such a quality interview, I I agree with you. We can't make them wait any longer. And so with that, we'll throw it to our roughly hour-long interview with the chief operating officer of the newest team in the Atlantic League, the Gastonia, to be determined right now. All right, we are back, and we are very excited today to have one of our, I suppose, bigger name guests here, the uh, chief operating officer of the new Gastonia franchise in the Atlantic League. David Martin now joins the show. How are you doing today? And thank you for coming on. 
I'm doing very well. I appreciate you guys having me on and uh, look forward to covering an array of topics today, which which is exciting on many, many levels. It's our pleasure. And uh, we are equally as excited, if not more so, to uh, dive headlong into it. And uh, I suppose I'm gonna I'm gonna actually allow uh, Will to start here and uh, get the ball rolling, seeing as he's our resident Atlantic League expert. And I imagine uh, he has a whole battery of questions already lined up for you. So I'll let him uh, kick <laughs> things off. Yeah. So so David, um, you you have a lot of experience opening different minor league parks and leading minor league baseball franchises. Uh, but I specifically wanna wanted to ask you about. Uh, your time with the High Point Rockers last year, considering this is almost an identical uh, situation to uh, a couple of years ago when High Point uh, was opening up. So what did you learn while working in High Point? Uh, any any experiences or any sort of uh, anything you could take from opening that ballpark in High Point that you can take with you uh, to Gastonia? Yeah, I think that's a great, uh, great first leadoff question, uh, Will, and I appreciate you uh, you teeing that up. Um, I think one of the first things that I learned is anybody who says they can build a ballpark in 11 months, um, open it, get everything done, and fill the stadium is uh, is probably crazy. Um, there, there is just way, way more work involved. Um, just building a ballpark and getting a new uh, front office integrated into a community uh, that in itself minimum should be 15 to 18 months worth of, of time and energy and effort. Um, so when I actually got first engaged um, with Brandon Bellamy, who is our owner of the Gastonia professional baseball franchise back in January, um, that was one of the first things I thought about. I was like, how much time do we really have? And at the end of the day, back in January, first of all, the ballpark was essentially four months into construction. Um, because the uh, city of Gastonia had started building it last September. So from that perspective, I felt like we were going to be good. And and that is actually going to play out well for us, Will, because we anticipate being able to take over the ballpark probably in January or February of uh, of, of, the, of 2021. So number one, uh, I learned you got to have time. And I think sometimes that, that gets overlooked. Uh, understand there can be extenuating circumstances. Um, that, um, you know, that play into it. I think the other thing along with time, you need to make sure that you've got time to hire good quality people, good staff, um, put a solid group together um, and uh, and then let those folks really get integrated you know, into the community, into their jobs, and then ultimately into, uh, into kind of, that will ultimately lead to the long-term success of the franchise. So I do feel like um, we've got plenty of opportunity um, to do that um, here in Gastonia. Um, I do think High Point was very, uh, I consider what we accomplished to be very successful. Um, I know people tend to focus on attendance and why didn't they draw more and this, that, and the other. But until you've been in the situation day to day and see the challenges and understand kind of what, uh, you know, what was faced, especially in some of the things that I just brought up, um, I, I don't think you can have a real true appreciation. I think they've got an outstanding president in Pete Fish um, who took over this past spring, I believe about a week before uh, COVID hit. But um, I worked with Pete back in the mid-90s in minor league baseball in Winston-Salem, and he is, a, he is a really, really great operator, and I think he'll do a phenomenal job. I do think it's going to take some time for High Point to, uh, to find their, uh, 
their footings and ultimately uh, hit the level of success that they're capable of. But I still do really believe that market's capable of, you know, the mid 2000s to the low threes on a pretty, uh, you know, pretty uh, consistent um, average basis for Atlantic League baseball and high point. Awesome there. Uh, I do want to touch on something you said with the with the COVID. I imagine that's a unique challenge to Gastonia now as it is to every other operator across the country regardless of if you're affiliated unaffiliated partner league whatever it may be so I'm just wondering how is the COVID crisis really going to play into the 2021 season the inaugural season uh, let's say if North Carolina still has some sort of a capacity limitation or if it gets you know god forbid worse or if it does improve uh, how is that going to kind of affect the plan i imagine it's a bit of a day-to-day kind of a thing but there's probably some sort of overarching plan for that yeah that's an outstanding question and and i will tell you we were about two months into evaluating this opportunity for brandon and covid did hit and he and i had some fairly detailed and in-depth conversations about what we felt what we thought this was going to mean as it relates to gastonia and I was very upfront with him and I'll be very upfront with you. At the end of the day, I saw it actually as a tremendous opportunity. And the reason that I say that is because as I told Brandon on a fairly consistent basis, I said, you know, you've got sports teams across this country that are fully operational. They have full staffs. Doesn't mean or matter whether it's a minor league baseball team, a major league baseball team, an NBA team, or for that matter, it's even businesses outside of sports that are are fully operational and their only option um, as they try to figure out how they're going to deal with COVID is to cut, cut staff, cut expenses, cut, you know, just cut across the board. And part of what I told Brandon is I said, listen, we're not scared. We're, We're not built out yet. And so I think there's a tremendous opportunity for us to scale at the pace in which we feel like we need to build this organization, keeping COVID in mind. And so Part of what that has meant is we have made good strategic um, business decisions as it relates to some of the people that are already working on the Gastonia project um, that, uh, that that are ended up is ending up playing out really well for us while not costing us an arm and a leg as to how we've done that. And um, you know, and I I'm I'm very focused right now on what the NHL is going to do, what the NBA is going to do, what Major League Baseball is thinking of doing on spring training. Um, obviously, you, you, you know, we're having our own internal conversations within the other teams in the league and, uh, and kind of talking about what next year could look like. But the fact that we're not, you know, that we weren't fully operational, um, I think, gave us a tremendous opportunity in Gastonia. And ultimately, it was it was part of Brandon's, you know, part of his decision um, in getting involved in uh, in Gastonia. So how it will all play out, I don't know. Uh, we could probably have another podcast mid-2022, and, uh, and I'll tell you if, uh, if we nailed that piece of the puzzle or not. But, uh, but I would much rather be in a position of, um, building an organization through a COVID and being able to control what we're doing, both on the expense, uh, most importantly, on the expense side and also uh, on the staffing side um, versus being fully staffed at 15 or 20 people and, and knowing what your overall expenses are. And then COVID hits and you know you're not going to play a season and your only real option is to cut a bunch of people. Yeah, definitely. And it definitely presents an opportunity to be innovative in the marketplace. Obviously, we've seen a lot of shift across the 
the whole really minor league sports landscape, not only with the pandemic, but with increased use of technology into the game and just different ways of engaging fans. When you have a, a pandemic or any sort of a crisis like this, it does set the stage to really be innovators on the really in the whole marketplace. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100 percent. And our business plan um, obviously, 70 Atlantic League baseball team, baseball games in our market and our ballpark, the Fuse Stadium, um, is going to be one of the big pillars uh, that we will operate off of year over year. But our business plan is also built heavily on a lot of other events in the ballpark. Um, I, I really credit the city of Gastonia and, and city manager Michael Peoples. He did a phenomenal job of going out to other minor league baseball stadiums and talking to a lot of operators before they really got into the design phase of the ballpark in Gastonia. And part of the one of the things that he heard on a fairly consistent basis is a lot of operators said, if I could change anything, I'd go with less seats and more space. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what we've got in our ballpark. We've got a 360 degree concourse all the way around. Um, we've got a huge kid zone area. We've got large hospitality areas where people are going to be able to come and drink and eat and stand and, on elevated concourses and look down onto the field. Um, we've got a drink rail that goes all the way around the ballpark. We've got a 4,000 square foot um, premium club on the second level which for Gastonia, I don't think anybody in the community even has a real sense yet as to what that is about. But I can tell you that our our premium seats um, in the club section are, are selling fast already. Mm -hmm. And candidly, Will, we haven't really even marketed them. Um, do have our sales reps out on the streets and they're making phone calls and following up. But at the end of the day, we've got a real gem in the way of uh, club seating in our ballpark that I think everybody's going to be super excited about. So, so in, you know, we also have four bars around the ballpark. So there's going to be a lot of opportunity for folks to kind of a grab and go on a, on a Budweiser or, or a Miller and, uh, and just take in the whole experience. But when that, when you think about that translating to the other event category and you talk about doing concerts, you talk about doing high school football games, um, uh, high school lacrosse events, soccer, uh, I think our ballpark is really, really set up well um, to, uh, you know, to really be able to take advantage of that. And that's what I'm super excited about for sure. Yep, absolutely. I think, Will, you had a question pertaining to kind of the modern design of the ballpark, right? Yeah, for 100 percent. So, David, you kind of touched on it. But and I, I was kind of wondering, since since you did, you were a big part of uh, opening the ballpark in High Point. I guess just based on the pictures I've seen of the of the ballpark in Gastonia, it, it seems pretty similar, and it does really follow that that a trend in minor league ballparks. I mean, you talk about less seats, um, like you can walk around the entire field, like the seats are closer to the field. Do you think that's something we'll see more of in in minor league baseball? Yes, uh, absolutely. I think I think um, it's while it's taken some time, I think in the next round of of stadium construction and new stadium design for minor league baseball teams, the model that was done in High Point and then also built here in Gastonia um, is going to be the model going forward. Um, now, you got to you know, you've got to make sure that you're going to have the opportunity to generate the revenue. Uh, you've got to make sure that you, you your business model is 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 going to align with how you want to build your ballpark. 
But at the end of the day, I do think more space gives you more flexibility to do more different types of events. And so that's in the long run, that's going to play a big role, um, you know, as we uh, as we go forward. And, you know, Will, as you mentioned a little a few minutes ago, I mean, everybody in minor league baseball and sports in general were forced to deal with the pandemic. And I agree with you that everybody across the industry has become extremely much more innovative with how they're approaching it. And so going forward, I think that's going to be a part of everybody's business plan. It's not like 2022 and 23, we're going to kind of go back to some semblance of, of normalcy in our country. And then all of a sudden, minor league operators go, yeah, I don't need to do all those other events. I'm just going to go back to running my minor league baseball team. No, I don't, I don't think that's going to be the case at all. So, Nick, as you look, da- look out and look down the road, I think folks who are um, serious about building new ballparks um, and municipalities who are being talked into it or considering it are really going to have to look at, uh, at kind of what I consider to be the landscape of a lot more space, a lot more free flowing for the fan um, and, and ultimately less seats that just has to, it, it's just going to play much better for, uh, for the overall business plan and operation for an owner. Mm-hmm. And I assume that the, uh, that building a field with, with artificial turf, I, I assume that's also, that that's also meant to help you guys out. Uh, in, in hosting other events and hosting other sports? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the maintenance and the upkeep, uh, the, the amount of money that you save over the long haul and maintenance upkeep of an artificial turf field versus a turf field is 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 uh, exponential. So, um, so yes, and, and it will give us a lot of flexibility to, uh, to being able to do multiple different types of events um, in the facility, on the field, um, throughout the, uh, throughout any given, you know, baseball season or any given uh, any given year so yes you're absolutely correct yeah it seems like a lot of these newer ballparks we have to stop thinking of them as a ballpark more as a community meeting space where the community is going to come together here for various events sure its primary focus may be a ballpark but it will also serve as a variety of different things and at the end of the day its purpose is less to host a baseball game and more to host uh, entertainment for the community or provide a, a general good for said community. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I'll give you three examples of things that we're already talking about and working on. Now, whether how these may, I will preface by saying how this manifests itself in 21 with COVID, I, I think is something that we're still thinking through. But one of the things that we've already started to talk to the local churches about is some type of um, sunrise service mm-hmm. that would involve various denominations um, to be out at the ballpark. And so that's one example. Um, how we do it, we haven't figured it out just yet, but we are starting to have the conversations with uh, a number of the folks in the community about how that might manifest itself around Easter weekend. Um, we also learned during our, one of, uh, during our focus groups that we conducted about two months ago um, to talk a little bit about you know what the potential name could be and to solicit a lot of feedback to the, to the community um, about the name is we learned in one of those conversations that Gastonia, um, back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, um, had what they called fish camp jams, which was essentially music and fish eateries cooking a ton of fish. And 
large groups of people, we're talking 60, 80, 100,000 people from around the Southeast would come to Gastonia, downtown Gastonia, and really enjoy a three-day Friday, Saturday, Sunday event. And so one of the things that we're going to be doing, um, it kind of died off in the late 80s, early 90s, Mm. and it just hasn't had the same luster for the last 25 to 30 years. But our goal is to try to bring it back um, to the, you know, to the, um, to the new ballpark, which will be exciting. And then one of the other elements that um, contractually uh, happy to do it, because as you said, community, the ballpark is such a community asset and community meeting place. But contractually, one of the things that we've agreed to in our lease is to open the ballpark for folks, since we have a 360 degree concourse to come in for two or four hours Um, you know, certain days during the course of the week to be able to walk the concourse and get some exercise. And we're hopeful to take that a step further because we've got some um, parcels of land on the property that are going to eventually be developed. We believe, or at least I believe, there's also an opportunity to potentially put in either half court basketball courts or potentially uh, a full basketball court and my thought is hey you know what if the community wants to come down and hoop uh, for six eight ten hours during the course of the day then we open up the ballpark they come in and and they put together the you know the the games that often happen in the sandlot that uh, so many of us um, have (laughs) have experienced in our younger years as well. Now that that sounds fantastic. I mean, just the thought of being able to just walk around and then, like you said, to have other options of things to be able to do while you're already in downtown, while you're taking in what's hopefully going to be the crown jewel of the downtown area is uh, it's fantastic to to see and to hear. And uh, that does answer my question as to how will some of the more modern spaces be utilized and, and some of the other stadium things. But I think it does begin to touch on one of the things uh that I wanted to get to, which was uh, just the fan engagement aspect and how important integrating the online presence as well as just physically hitting the ground kind of fan engagement, how that's going to work and the priority of that kind of online presence. So the fan engagement piece of this puzzle is absolutely going to be critical to our long-term success. Um, we, I think we've done an, uh, I've done it, I've done, and a few of our staff members have done a decent job, at least initially, um, getting out into, uh, into the community and, and where available, being able to do a little bit of public speaking. Um, but at the end of the day, there's going to be a lot more of that community involvement. I will tell you from an online engagement standpoint, obviously we start, we're starting fresh from building our followers for, for, for Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I'm pleasantly surprised um, at the, the success that, uh, that we've been able to have just in a very short period of time. I do think once we announce our name, uh, I think it'll pick up exponentially. Um, but we also, uh, Gastonia Pro Baseball is our um, website that we created. And one of the first things we did in August is we took submissions from the community of, of what people thought the name should be. And so we had over 750 submissions, which was really, really exciting. And then we followed that up in early to, or about the middle part of September with the opportunity for folks to um, to vote on our five finalists for names. And uh, and so the engagement um, on the uh, through the website on name voting has been uh, has been over the top as well. So um, I absolutely believe in it. Uh, we will have a phenomenal ballpark fan engagement experience, but that will also transcend into the social side and what we're doing online as we go forward. 
And I may be very early to ask this, and obviously things are going to be highly predicated on how the COVID situation develops or improves upon over the next many months, but uh, is there any sort of an outline for what that game day experience is going to be yet, or is that something that's going to be developed more down the road when we have a bit more certainty or, or as much certainty as we could possibly have during these times? Um, I, we haven't I, we haven't drilled down just yet. Um, there is a part of me that is fingers crossed and hopeful that once we kind of break into the spring, March, April-ish, um, and kind of get through the winter that, uh, you know, obviously hopefully we'll be three or four months into a vaccine and, and our country will start to feel a little better, um, about it. Um, from 30,000 feet, Will, I think, I think just, you know, are we going to ever be at capacity even potentially for opening night? No, probably not. You know, probably 2,500 tickets, 2,000 tickets, depending on what the state of North Carolina will kind of allow us compared to our overall, uh, our overall um, capacity is kind of what I would be thinking about. Um, you got to respect social distancing, um, especially if there's still uh, obviously an issue here in the in uh, in our country, um, and in Gastonia in particular. So um, we're going to need to dive a little bit deeper. But I do think everything that you would expect to experience on the scoreboard, um, I think everything that you would expect to experience from a an engagement on the field, kids running the bases, little league teams taking the field with for the national anthem, uh, I I really believe all of that can still play. It's just you got to kind of think through things on an individual case by case basis. We will likely, for the most part, be looking at a cashless um, ballpark as it relates to concessions, food and beverage. Um, I, I don't know that we can go 100 percent as much as I would love to and as much as I've been encouraged by some folks that uh, that we've been working with on the food and beverage side. I, I'm not sure you can go quite 100 um, percent. Clearly, from a ticketing standpoint, a lot of it's going to be online and a lot of it will be people printing off their, you know, their tickets um, at home and then bringing them and showing up at the ballpark and we scanning them in. So from that perspective, I feel really confident, but we'll see where we are probably about four to five months and and honestly I, what i am encouraged and i mentioned a little earlier watching real closely what the nhl and nba are going to do to restart mm. i think they did a phenomenal job both did a phenomenal job pivoting but now they've now they're kind of faced with well uh, we're probably not going to be looking at bubbles and so how are we going to do this going forward and it's probably going to be a lot more in line with what the nfl and what major league baseball has experienced mm. Uh, Will, you, uh, where are you heading with your next question? I guess my, where, where I definitely want to head uh, for my next question is, like, what are the keys, do you think, for establishing uh, the Gastonia professional uh, ba baseball team? What do you think the keys are establishing the team into the community in year one? What, what do you think are the, the difficulties behind that? And what, what, what do you think your guys' strategy is going to be to try and get to try and get fans and fans in the seats and um, excitement around, around the club. Yeah. So a big part of our strategy is going to be to be fully engaged in the community and that can take on a lot of forms. Um, you know, whether that be, uh, you know, us uh, participating in, and having um, a booth or a tent at farmer's markets in the spring talking about our products, whether that be 
us uh, bringing our mascot out to numerous businesses and community gatherings so that people know that we're in the community and that the season is almost upon us, whether that be me personally or our staff personally joining Rotary Clubs and being engaged in uh, in the in the intricacies of what's going on in the community. I think that's it, just community involvement in general is a big strategy and it's a and it's a big going to be a big key to our success. Um, I think communication also is is really important. Um, you know, fans, uh, especially what I've found in new communities when I've launched new teams, High Point in 2019 and then Fresno, California back in the early or late 90s, early 2000s, is, you know, it, it, it we, we generally are so close to what we're doing on a day-to-day basis that we, we forget that fans don't know. They just don't. They, they're consumed with their life. They're consumed with their kids, their families. And so to assume that they know, for example, right now, or that a large percentage of the community knows right now that season tickets are on sale, you know, that that's incumbent on me to make sure that we are constantly over communicating that. Um, another example is we actually have what I consider to be phenomenal parking um, availability around the ballpark. And we actually have uh, the team actually controls upwards of almost 500 parking spaces. So we've made that part of our season ticket package. So being able to over communicate what the parking availability is going to be, because that's the first thing that generally people experience on a game day uh, from a fan engagement and fan experience standpoint is parking. Mm-hmm. So making sure that we're over communicating um, on uh, on all of those critical elements, I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be really important. Um, fans also love winners. They love to get behind their team. So I think we need to, you know, we're going to need to find a manager. We're going to need to find a coaching staff that's uh, got some cachet and, and some experience and, and understand what it's going to take to, uh, to build a team and to build hopefully a, a really respectable product on the field. Um, because, because at the end of the day, that'll be important to our, uh, our fan base over the longer haul. So um, I would say engagement in the community, communication for sure and then uh, making sure we're building a uh, building a good uh, on-field product um will uh, will all be in my opinion three pieces of the puzzle that are going to be critical to our long-term success so so going off that uh, uh the on-field product is there any sort of timeline on uh, announcing the the team's coaching staff for the 2021 season um, I think the timeline is predicated on what we feel like we're going to be doing as a league, um, as to, as you know, as it relates to the 2021 season. Um, assuming that everything is, you know, a third week, last week of April, start of a season, and it's a full season, and everything you know plays out in that manner, we will likely have an announcement right after the first of the year with uh, with our uh, for our manager, um, and then from that point forward, it, it, it'll be. Uh, I've made it very clear to two or three of our candidates that we've been talking with that, you know, at that point, they need to build the staff. Um, obviously, I'll be engaged to the extent that they want me engaged. Um, they'll clearly understand what the financial uh, uh, financial parameters are in which they can play with. But um, as I told one candidate the other day, I said, give me 27 outs a game. That's what I want. And uh, 245 is your limit. <laughs> that was a little yeah. bit of a joke, but, yeah. but he got it. You know, we obviously want to be competitive, don't want to embarrass ourselves, want to 
put a good product on the field um, because, you know, independent baseball and what we're doing in Gastonia and what the Atlantic League is about, um, you know, I think you do have a little bit, uh, which is exciting for me because I did spend, you know, 12 years in affiliated ball. I do think you have the opportunity to uh, to be more competitive and to really build and have an impact on what uh, on what your product looks like on the field. But at the end of the day, um, it's a minor league baseball game and fans are coming for a whole slew of reasons. And ultimately, they want to be entertained. So we're not going to lose focus on uh, on creating a heck of a fan engagement experience that if for some reason we only won 20 out of 85 games uh, in 2021, then so be it. We would still um be able to be successful at the uh uh you know at the, on the balance sheet in our yeah. business plan yeah, it's about sustainability and i do want to just kind of dive a little bit further into the what makes a successful manager what the candidates that you're currently speaking with what are some i don't want to say through lines across all of them but what kind of tendencies or traits do they have that made you think or make you think rather uh, this guy can be successful not only on the field, but also as far as representing the organization in the community. Yeah. So one of the things that was really high on my list when we were starting out is uh, is experience and in particular experience being a manager in the Atlantic League. Um, and so uh, I've been very fortunate that we do have a candidate that uh, that we're talking with that um, that knows the league and uh, has been involved in the league, which is really exciting. Because um, you know, as as I told this particular candidate, I said, "Listen, I I know that when you go to Long Island, you're not you're going to know how to get the bus driver to the ballpark, and I'm not be getting a phone call in the middle of the afternoon, or uh, you know, where where am I going? What am I what what am I trying to do here? So so I think experience is big. Um, I also have talked to a number of other um, baseball related folks in the industry um, in preparation because candidly this is you know this is uh, this is an exciting opportunity for me but it's also my first time I've ever um, going out and hiring a manager um, and so part of what uh, part of what I heard on a fairly consistent basis is the manager and or his coaching staff has got to have connections through minor, minor league sports and minor league baseball because there are going to be times where your starting pitcher for Tuesday night is going to get uh, is going to get an opportunity on Monday afternoon and they're going to be gone and you're going to have to figure out or this manager in particular is going to have to figure out in a very short probably 24 to 48 hour period what moves they're going to make related to the club and who they're going to be bringing in and so in order to be able to do that and do it on a on a quick term basis they've got to have a lot of really good relationships with um with agents who represent a lot of the athletes that you're going to be looking for they obviously need to stay on top of a lot of the transactions and a lot of the moves because kids get released all the time in double a and single a or triple a and so you know you got to know what's happening across not only um you know not only uh independent ball but also affiliated ball and across the industry as a whole um so i i would say ex- my top two is experience for sure and then the second piece of the puzzle is connections and knowing that you can really get to uh you know get to um get to agents and and replace folks uh, or kids that might get called up um off of your roster in a quick turn a quick turn moment for sure awesome Awesome answer. And I think uh, that having that experience is certainly something that's extremely important for a young franchise. And also, it's important to have a guy that knows how it operates in the league. So that way, the more experienced people you have kind of dull the curve a bit there. And 
I, I do want to touch on one other thing here because you did mention things happening across the industry and obviously the Atlantic League's uh, announcement that they are now a partnership league with Major League Baseball. And I know that mainly pertains to marketing and promotion. So I was just curious to know how that affects how you do your job in promoting the ball club and promoting uh, all the sales. And does having that kind of Major League Baseball seal on your franchise and on the league that your franchise is in help promote the team or how does that affect uh, your, I don't want to say day-to-day operations, but operations as a whole? Yeah, I, I think a lot of I, I think the success was going to be it's still kind of TBD, but at the end of the day, I believe it'll have a major impact on our ability and our bottom line. Um, but how it manifests itself uh, is going to very much be a, a, a learn in progress as we go over the next couple of seasons. Um, but uh, but super excited. I mean, obviously. Um, MLB now, uh, I don't want to make any assumptions, but at the end of the day, we'll likely have the opportunity to sell our product, um, you know, to some extent. And so, you know, they're not just marketing uh, 32 major league baseball teams. Now they're able to mark X, Y, and Z number of, uh, of, of minor league teams. So when you're talking about um, communicating with brands on a national level and giving them, being able to give them the footprint um, that, uh, that would come with this partnership with, with Atlantic league. And, and for that matter, you know, the frontier league and some of the other leagues that are out there. Um, I think that's, that's going to pay dividends exponentially for everybody. Um, in a positive, positive, positive way over the long haul. But we've got a lot to figure out. Um, but I do applaud the Atlantic League. A couple of years ago, obviously, started a relationship with MLB on stuff that uh, they wanted to kind of test on the field. And um, and I think there's been a lot of good progress made on that front that uh, over the next two to three years, you're probably going to see some of those things even further uh, implemented as part of Major League Baseball games. Awesome. Uh, Will, your, your next question? Uh, I wanted to touch on is is uh, the owner uh, of the uh, Gastonia Pro- Professional Baseball Club, Brandon Bellamy, uh, as was um, wa- pretty pretty widely covered uh, at the time. He is um, he is currently professional baseball's only black majority uh, owner. So what what kind of what significance do you think that has, and ha- how do you think that um, how, how do you think that help, helps the ball club and maybe even in, in the community if that if that's applicable. Yeah, so I, I think it's uh, I think it can have a tremendous significance, but a lot of it, um, in my opinion, is going to be incumbent upon Brandon and our staff and what we're doing in Gastonia to maximize those opportunities and define those opportunities. Um, one of the things that Brandon um, is ha- hasn't talked a whole lot about yet, but we are talking about it as as an organization is how can this franchise in Gastonia. Um, begin to move the needle um, in our region or in our area around younger African-American kids playing baseball. Mm -hmm. Um, because we would love to be able to move that needle over the next 10 years. Um, but, but the question is, how do you do it? So, um, so that's a lot of that discussion that we've got going on right now, um, with Gastonia Parks and Rec, for example, and with local little league teams in the region, in the Gastonia County area, um, as well as community centers. Um, you know, Gastonia has, um, a number of community centers that, uh, that, that offer varying levels of sports participation for the kids in their area. And so how do we help move, move that needle so that we can have more 
kids playing t-ball playing little league ultimately playing in middle school and playing in high school how can we move them up through we do believe that you know brandon being a majority uh you know the only majority african-american owner of a baseball team right now helps it helps us with the opportunity to message um but we also believe the ballpark um, is going to play a big big role in it because we Mm -hmm. fully intend to have clinics fully intend to have um have little league tournaments and play baseball games out there Saturday mornings for these kids so that they're playing in a new baseball stadium. You know, how cool is that? Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're black or white. We want to build obviously our brand in the market, but if, if also along that parallel path, we're able to excite um, the, the little African-American kids as well to play baseball and see them kind of progress up to up through that that is going to be one of our uh would would be one of the things that we believe can can be successful over the longer haul um so i, I think that's part of uh of how we're gonna uh, how we're gonna try to do it brandon also talks often about hey if if, if i can and this is just in general not necessarily related to baseball and, and bringing along a younger population in baseball but you know he feels very strongly that if if People look to him and see that some of the things that he's been able to accomplish um, in his life, and that helps them just in general in their life accomplish things, whether that's in business or in person on a personal level. Then, then that's great. That's that in his mind is is success is being uh, success is being achieved. So, uh, I'm just super excited that I met the gentleman back in January. Uh, we hit it off from nearly right up in the beginning of the conversations that we were having, and then through a lot of work over the next six months, ultimately arrived at a really good spot to bring a baseball team to Gastonia. I do want to just detour back to the to the ballpark real quick because there's two questions I just looked at my sheet and I saw I didn't quite get to that I wanted to. And the, the first is kind of what are the player facilities like? And I guess that kind of goes back to the manager getting guys in there. And obviously when you're in unaffiliated ball, Part of the deal is you need to recruit your own line of players. You even said that you need to be ready to find a starter for Tuesday night on Monday evening. And uh, obviously facilities help in recruiting for that. So I was just kind of curious to what the player facilities look like. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, while we're not going to go and be quite as crazy as uh, as High Point was when they painted the uh, visiting locker room pink, uh <laughs> Uh, we, I will tell you that, um, I think the, the home facilities a little bit larger, a little more spacious than visiting, which I'm completely okay with that. Um, but I also think we're in a very interesting time uh, right now. And I have had this conversation with our manager candidates. And, and what I mean by that is if you are an athlete trying to a baseball player in particular, and you've played a few years and you are a free agent right now. Now, given the amount of athletes that are out there, uh, I think anybody who gets any opportunity, it doesn't matter whether they get the chance to go play in Hagerstown or Chattanooga or Lexington, Kentucky or Gastonia, I think every single one of them is going to walk through the door and be grateful they got an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so a part of what I told or part of what I've communicated to a couple of our candidates is, listen, if they walk into Gastonia's brand new ballpark and there's something that they don't like candidly, I don't want to hear it. I'm mm. really not interested. 
Um, I think they should be grateful that they've got the opportunity and I think they should come in and work their tail off, um, to be successful. And then if they do, and they're able to achieve the success that they want to achieve, then they're probably not going to be here very long. And, uh, and bull, all three of the candidates that I've been talking to are, are very much aligned with that. So, uh, I think our facilities are fine for a brand new ballpark. Um, and, uh, and super excited, obviously, to, uh, to get started and bringing a team in and get them ex- to experience what we've got in Gastonia. Very cool. Very cool. And then I was just curious, because I haven't seen this anywhere, and it is kind of a minor question, but I was just curious if, if you uh, have offhand what the dimensions of the field are, because I saw that batted around a lot when whenever pictures of the field get posted or discussion about the ballpark comes up, I always see people wanting to know what the dimensions are to center field, right, left. So I'm just curious if you have that offhand. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to do this a little off the top of my head because uh, okay. I, I, it's been a little while, but I do have a pretty good idea. Um, we So left field it would be what you'd probably consider to be a short porch um, at like 310. Okay. But what I will tell you, and that's at a foul pole, but what okay. I will tell you is we actually built a fence that's going to be 25 feet in the air and go mm-hmm. out to about right center field. Oh, it yeah. is going to be chain link because we do want fans to be able to see through that fence because our kid zone is going to be out in left field in the big concourse area that we have out there. Mm-hmm. So, um, so think a little bit along the lines of a green monster um but 25 feet in the air should get us into the 370 385 range to left field um left center field you get into that 360 380 dead centers like 410 um the deepest part of the ballpark is in right field right center um then you're in that 400 range and then uh, i believe right field foul pole is like 375 to 380 Okay, cool. I'm part of the reason why part of yeah, part of the reason why it got built this way, and I've alluded to the high school football and yeah. soccer and lacrosse. But if you've got the opportunity or listeners have the opportunity and they go on our website at Gastonia Pro Baseball, we've got pictures of the layouts of the ballpark. And so part of the reason why that right field of uh, right field and right center field is so deep is because of the way we're gonna be able to lay out the uh the football and the soccer and the lacrosse events at our ballpark park and I'm, I'm really interested about uh, about the length of the chain link fence and how that's going to wind up playing into uh into a, a batter's decision or how a batter plays the field and and everything that goes into that uh, that's really interesting and I, i'm very or the left or a left field pit or a left hander right oh yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah we I've, I've had to i've had some conversations in fact one of my questions for each of our candidates so what's your strategy like what are you gonna like what do you think how are you gonna play around this because it'll uh it's gonna definitely uh it's gonna definitely be an interesting uh, uh interesting part of the game for sure i think we probably have an advantage you know for the first homestand or two when we play a new team coming to market. Yeah. Um, but then, but then after that, it'll, it'll probably be fair, pretty fair all the way around. Yeah, no, but it still gives the ballpark character and having character in a yep. ballpark, it, it matters an awful lot. I think that's one of the things that on the show I've been very consistent about how a lot of ballparks nowadays, they have a corporate name attached to them. They're very cookie cutter and generic and it, they just all kind of look the same when you have these little things that make it different. Uh, it stands out in people's minds and it, it makes people want to go back. I agree 100%. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Will, you have another question? Because I, I know, Dave, you've been very generous with your time so far. And uh, I know we only have about 10 minutes or so left uh, before you have to go on to the rest of your day. And I'm, I'm very thankful you spent this time with us. So, uh, Will, do you have any, what else do you have left to uh, get to on your agenda there? Yeah, so I really have, I really have one last question. And, and I guess um, when, when High Point started in 2019, uh, I guess one of the one of the disadvantages, I guess you could say, it had is it didn't really have like a team that was a- anywhere near it. And so uh, my question to you would be, well, what kind of benefits do you do you think um, do you think it'll they'll have uh, or Gastonia will have having a team like High Point only say I, I'm not. I don't live in North Carolina, but I think like around like 90 minutes away. And mm-hmm. are you going to try and like maybe funnel any sort of like rivalry or, or anything like that? Could you see that down the road between Gastonia and then the Rockers? Yeah, I, I think there's, I, I think that's absolutely part of our game plan. Um, we, we for sure want to create rivalry. Um, I think from a social media perspective, things could get a little chippy between the two of us, which would be fun. Uh, you know, kind of stir the pot. Uh, I've already had extensive conversations with Pete Fish about, uh, us bringing three or four busloads of Gastonia fans up to High Point, and then the High Point franchise doing the same when uh, you know when we're playing in uh, in each other's respected markets. Um, from a scheduling standpoint, you know we're obviously going to be able to commute, which is huge. Uh, we can save; uh, we'll be able to save some money over the course of a season, so that'll be uh, that'll be exciting. But yeah, rivalry for sure on the baseball side. We also see some synergies and opportunities um, in the concert realm of things too, where you may have an entertainer playing High Point on a Friday night and then playing Gastonia on a Saturday night as part of a as part of a minor league baseball ballpark tour experience. So there's a there's a phenomenal there's a lot of opportunity, um, and we plan to we plan to play it up for sure. Um, and you know, having spent time in High Point in 2019, I want to beat them every game. Every yeah. game we're going to want to beat them. I've made that very clear to our three candidates that we can stink against every team in the league, but we got to have a good winning record against high point. And so they get the point. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it's like the minor league Yankees and Red Sox. Exactly. That's exactly what we'll, uh, we'll aspire to, but I, I, I do think we'll, we'll have a lot of fun with it. Um, and that's, uh, and that's going to be, uh, that's going to be really great. And, you know, fingers crossed, I don't know where things will land with, you know, potentially adding teams to the Atlantic league for 21 or beyond, but, you know, it, it'd be really nice to pick up one or two other teams, you know, in Virginia and South Carolina that or Virginia, North Carolina or South Carolina that, that, uh, that would give us some opportunity for some rivalry for sure. Yep. Absolutely there. And so I guess I'll kind of wrap up my last question with, uh, uh, we've obviously covered an awful lot of ground today. And so if you had to summarize one thing that you are really excited about, the one aspect that excites you the most about this whole opportunity, the team, the community, uh, the ballpark, what would be that one thing? And, and how would you uh, kind of summarize that? Honestly, I think I think we are going to be able to take full advantage of coming out of COVID. Uh, I really do believe that we are going to come out of it as a country. Um, 2021, in my opinion, is likely when that's going to occur. And I think 
bands and folks in our respected region and community of Gaston County and Cleveland County and, and Lincoln County are going to be ready and, and capable and able and excited to come watch Gastonia professional baseball. And so honestly, that's, you know, that once again, ever being the optimist and seeing when there's opportunity, I really believe that will play well for us for our inaugural season in 2021. Awesome. And so uh, I guess with that said, we have about uh, 10 minutes left in the time. So this is normally where I'd like to give whomever the guest is uh, an opportunity to promote anything they want to promote, say anything that we didn't quite cover that you may have wanted to cover, or summarize anything that uh, we talked about that you wanted to go into more detail about or that you didn't think was quite clear enough. So uh, with the, I'll give you the time remaining here to, to do just that. Yeah. Well, I, so I appreciate that. So let me uh, let me sweep the audience uh, of who likely is going to be listening. You're a job seeker out there and you want to work in minor league baseball. Um, we are always interested and open to having conversations. Um, uh, we have had a lot of interest from folks. Um, we do the best we can, and I personally do the best I can to return as many phone calls and have as many get-to-know conversations as possible. Um, so, if there is interest, um, you know, feel free to uh, you know to to forward your information along to uh, you know to us um, or or make a phone call. A lot of that is available. Uh, contact information is available through the Gastonia Professional Baseball website. Um, I think that also applies for any players out there that might be listening. Um, you know, if you've had a five, six, seven year double-A, triple-A, and you're a free agent, um, or you've been a major league um, ball player, and you're you know, kind of in that 29, 30, 32 range, and you're still interested in playing baseball, we would uh, love to talk to you. Um, keep your eyes and ears open for after the first of the year, because at that point, our, uh, our manager will be named, and ultimately, it'll be that person, his responsibility to, uh, to field a lot of those inquiries, but um, have had a number of, uh, of baseball players uh, reach out for sure. Um, if you're in the community um, or in this area and in this market, um, would encourage you to check out the Gastonia Professional Baseball website, uh, gastoniaprobaseball.com. Uh, we've got a lot of information on the website related to our ticket packages and ticket programs, and there's going to be more information shared um, here probably in the early part of December as it relates to our name and um, and that and our note announcement on our logo. So, but super excited that you guys had me on today, and uh, really excited to uh, page on 2020 and get to 2021 in our inaugural season in the new ballpark in Gastonia. Well, we're very thankful that you came on. I I definitely appreciate you uh, coming on the show here. We definitely enjoyed it. I'm sure our listeners will enjoy it. And I'm especially thankful that you actually responded to my email. There's a lot of times that those just fall on deaf ears. But this time, not only was it a response, it was fairly quick, too. <laughs> yeah, well, one of the things that I've learned just in general in my uh, in my passings and in, in being able to stay on top of everything that I'm doing is, uh, is if you keep everything in front of you, you don't drop any balls. It's when they slide two to three weeks behind you that, uh, that you get yourself in trouble. So super excited that you guys had me on look forward to, you know, keep me in mind. would love to come on middle of next summer and talk about kind of where we are and where we've been from now until then and, and what we've learned and where, where we're going and some of the successes that we've, uh, we've been able to enjoy for sure. Absolutely. I'm sure I speak for Will here when I say we'd love to have you back on and we'll definitely 100%. keep you yeah, we'll definitely keep you in mind come June, July of next year. Uh to definitely get you back on the show. 
Yeah, please do. Yep. I appreciate you doing this. So we again thank David for coming on the show. We definitely appreciate it. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview as much as we enjoyed conducting that interview. A really nice guy. A lot of really interesting things he said there. And of course, as we always do on this show, we're going to kind of discuss the interview a little bit here. Uh, Obviously, we're nearing the hour mark as it already is. But uh, I think it's worth spending 10, 15 minutes on. Give some quick takeaways uh, from the interview. That was an awesome, awesome interview. I had so much fun uh, conducting it just to kind of get into the mind of of a guy who's trying to integrate uh, a brand new baseball team into 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 a community. And so I think that was really in, it was really interesting to uh, hear, hear his thoughts about it. But I, I do the one um, the one part of it that I really enjoyed was talking about the uh, potential rivalry with High Point as uh as I guess the uh, the show's Atlantic League correspondent, I, that makes me very very excited. I know uh, trips down to High Point weren't always the favorite of a lot of players. Not not to say anything about not that it has anything to do with the ballpark or the city of High Point or anything like that. Just because like there's, I mean, there there's no other team near there, and I think that uh, having a team in Gastonia only roughly ninety minutes away, I think that's going to be awesome, and I. I'm glad he touched on it. I'm glad he's excited about that. I'm glad he's as excited about it as I am. And I know as a lot of uh, other fans are um, both rockers and, and, and believe it or not, I do know uh, there are a couple of people who have reached out to me saying that they can't wait for Gastonia to begin play. So I think it's uh, that, that part that asked rivalry aspect of it, uh, potential rivalry aspect of it. I, that was really interesting to hear him, hear him go into yeah, no, it definitely was. I'm really interested to see what they're going to do because there's definitely a lot of cross-promotional opportunities there. I know we mentioned uh, having bus trips of Gastonia fans go to High Point and vice versa. So that's definitely something I think is going to be extremely interesting. It's something I always thought that uh, the Jackals and the Boulders and the Miners should be doing because they're just so close that it's a very feasible thing to do. And you could definitely raise a lot of money uh, doing that as long as the economics work out. And I think that's definitely going to be something of, of real interest there. And I definitely see what you're saying about the players in high point because it is kind of like the dead end turnaround at the uh, in the cul-de-sac there where you go down you play your three to six games there and then you just turn it right back around you head back up north and now at least you have kind of a two-step here uh kind of what the american association had going in texas before you know the downfall of the air hogs which we'll talk about that amongst other things later on in the show but that is definitely something of interest for me uh, as well. But one of the he seems really excited about the ballpark too, and how this mm-hmm. is going to really turn into a community asset. Uh, that's something that excites me as well, very heavily too. Uh, talking about how you're going to have fans be able to walk around the concourse just during the day. How they're going to try and put even more amenities into this ballpark space on the property and the lot that the ballpark sits on to really try and integrate it into the community and make it that kind of crown jewel of the downtown Gastonia area. That is something that's extremely exciting to me as well. Uh, Likewise, finally getting the dimensions of this ballpark, or at least a rough idea of the dimensions of this ballpark, is really exciting as well. Uh, That was something that 
that I found interesting. But uh, from more of a, a critical perspective, I guess, I think we can kind of determine at least one of the candidates for uh, this Gastonia job here. And I know we were talking about it a little bit off air, but I think I can confidently say that Kevin Bias is one of the guys that's interviewing uh, for the position. I think so, yeah. I mean, he, when he said outright, he's not going to get lost driving to the ballpark on Long Island you can kind of put the pieces together there. The only thing that works against it is a uh, Rockland statement when they said, uh, uh, he wanted to pursue opportunities in affiliated ball. But, uh, to be honest, I think that was more of a, a cover for letting him go than, than anything else, to be honest with right. you. So, I mean, he definitely fits the mold of what they're looking for in a manager. He has experience. He obviously has connections inside, uh, minor league baseball across minor league baseball as a whole. And I think he's definitely the kind of guy, if they were to go with him, that could lead that team into a successful future. He's obviously mm-hmm. been a part of one of the better organizations across independent league baseball as a whole, being with the Ducks for so long. And I mean, just look at the Ducks pedigree. A while back in April when we were talking to Michael Pfaff, that clearly showed that that's an organization that knows how to run their business and to bring in a manager that was in that system to run kind of the, the actual ball club itself, the the roster moves, the coaching staff, everything like that, I think is a, a grade A decision. And that was something I found very interesting as well. The, the, there is obviously at least two other candidates, but like, uh, like David was referring to, uh, and so, I mean, maybe Bias doesn't get the job. I don't, I don't know who the other guys that they're interviewing. Uh, I don't know how those interviews will go. But I do think that uh, having a guy like Bias, I think it's it's eerily similar to what the Rockers did with Jamie Keefe mm-hmm. and bringing in a guy who's had a ton of success in indie ball and has those connections, like David talked about. And I think that, and you saw how it worked in High Point. I mean, I didn't really. I mean, I'll be the first to admit, and if you've been following my ALPB News account for uh, since the beginning, you know I wasn't very high on High Point going into 2019. I didn't think that, that they were going to have much success on the field, but Jamie Keith knew what he was doing, and he took that team to the playoffs in their inaugural season, which is something that you don't really see a whole lot in professional sports at all. And so I, I think that that mold of going with uh, an experienced guy who, who's been around the block in indie ball to help uh to help bring a new franchise in because like you know the, the a lot of the other staff might be kind of new to everything but i mean I, I think bringing in a guy like kevin baez could definitely um it could definitely bring some success to gastonia early on but we'll, we'll see we'll see how the process shakes out and like he said uh probably looking at a managerial announcement uh around the new year and so that'll be that'll definitely be something to look forward to. Absolutely, and that's another thing I was going to touch on was uh, uh, obviously with bias, it's all potential. I think it's just safe enough to say he didn't confirm it, obviously, but there was enough breadcrumbs for us to put the pieces together. Getting that timeline of how everything's going to work, how we said, how he said. Um, mid-November we should have the branding and everything or early December rather we should have the branding and the identity of the team figured out and that way you can get the Christmas sales in and then right after New Year's we should have a manager and then shortly after we should have a staff put together 
So it looks like towards the end of the year, we're really going to have a lot of quick flowing news. And it's just nice to have a timeline of what to expect going forward in regards to the team. And uh, that's clearly something I do. I appreciate getting out of them for, for that. Uh, but I do wonder if the other guy, because now it does look like Jim Bennett's name makes a lot of sense here too, because he clearly has been around the block. He's had success on the field. He makes a lot of sense here. So obviously it's just speculation, but it does make it a lot easier for me to write my Gastonia article now. Yeah, no, I know. I think I know we, we talked we talked about uh, Jim Bennett at, at, at length of potentially being a good fit for, for Gastonia. So I, th- I think that I think that could definitely could definitely work as well. Yeah, no, I think he makes an awful lot of sense to at the very least bring in and talk to there. Uh, but though that was some of the things I took away there. Obviously, he talked an awful lot more about how COVID could affect everything, and it's that was one of the more difficult aspects for me. Is a lot of times I like to ask questions about what's the plan going forward, how is everything going to line up here. But obviously, with such uncertainty, it's very difficult to do that. You know, it's hard to say, oh well. Uh, of course, we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this, and then our opening day facilities are going to be something along those lines. But obviously, when you don't know how many people you can actually have at one gathering, uh, it makes it a lot more difficult when you don't know if you're going to have a vaccine or not. It's going to be a lot more difficult uh, amongst a whole slew of other things. Uh, so that was that hearing how that's playing into the the role of building a team and obviously that being the main challenge this time around was was interesting as well yeah a hundred percent i think it's it's so hard because this this pandemic has really i've never seen a time a, a time in sports and i guess i guess around the world in general where there is so much uncertainty where there's you there's so many questions and so little answers and it's really, it's specifically in, in professional sports and in indie ball, of course, is, is not exempt from that. And the reality is, is you just, you just got to have a bunch of, condi- a bunch of contingency, contingency plans lined up, such as like, well, if we're allowed to have 2000 fans, this is what we're going to do. If we're allowed to have 2,500, like the, what he kind of alluded to. What if we're allowed a full capacity? Do we still need to take any measures at all? Like there, there's a lot of, the reality is that if you want to be successful during run, trying to run a sports franchise during this pandemic, I know we all kind of hope by, by next spring and summer, there will be fans allowed in some capacity. And I think that then there, there is definitely a blueprint, I guess. And I think that makes it easier because when Somerset started their league and Somerset and Sugarland both started their league, it was tough because there was no real blueprint for having fans at games like whatsoever there there was no there was no one knew what the right way to do it was and i and sugarland and somerset both kind of had to dive in head first and say listen this is this is how we're going to do it and it, and it and it turned out to be pretty successful so i think that um i, I think they've set the blueprint for how to have games with fans in a pandemic but i think of course you have to rely on uh, local government officials who are going to provide d- different rules that you have to follow, and you, you just you just have to assume that Gaston, not just Gastonia, but every park it has different plans in place uh, depending on what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do 
yep. uh, come spring. Hopefully, it's it's all back to normal. That would be uh, terrific. Would be an understatement, but uh, obviously, like like David alluded to, the odds of having uh, sell them selling five thousand tickets for opening day in, in late April is probably not not a great possibility. But hopefully, hopefully, yep, hopefully, hopefully and another thing that makes it a little bit easier is we've seen a league that's even well, I don't want to say even more spread out, but fairly spread out put together a model that worked at least partially for a season in the American Association. They managed to get just about every team in their home ballpark, obviously the exception being Winnipeg. And if you can do something like that in the, um, in the Atlantic league this year, you could definitely make it work there. There's ways to get everything together that could pan out. Obviously the whole team roster slate or the roster of teams rather isn't quite set in stone yet. We're probably not going to have much information on that front for another couple of months or so, Uh, but even still there's a lot of uncertainty there, but uh, you definitely get the sense from talking to David that he, uh, he has his options together and he's able to adjust on the fly if necessary. And that this team is in very good shape as it stands today. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I think I, I'm pretty confident that we can have a successful um, indie ball season next year. And I'm very much, very much looking forward to it. Oh, absolutely there. And so uh, we've spent a, a decent little chunk of time now talking about the about the interview. And I'm, I'm being conscious of the time added on to the interview itself here. So we're probably a good bit over the hour mark now. We could uh, kind of move on to other things here. But first, I just I want to get kind of parting thoughts about the interview and uh, just your main takeaways from it uh, going forward. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, it was a, it was an awesome interview. Uh, I, had, I had a lot of fun conducting it. I know you did as well. Um, I, I think it's safe to say that Gastonia is... Uh, is definitely in good hands. I'm I'm excited to see not not only what their what their baseball team looks like and what the stadium looks like, but how that team starts to uh, interact in the community. And it seems like David m- thinks that's a big part of the success of the franchise as well. And I think it's safe to say that they're in good hands. And I can't wait to see uh, that franchise start to get up and moving. Hopefully, when their their team name is announced, and we can stop referring to them as the uh, Gastonia Professional Baseball Franchise. I can't wait for certain aspects of Gastonia to get to get up and moving, and to see uh, really to see how how far this this franchise can go. I'm really excited. Exactly. I think the sky's the limit from it. I think the between the ownership structure and the management structure and everything that's being put together here, I think this team has a, a very long uh, future ahead. I think they have a very successful future ahead. I think they're in very capable hands here. And my take, my main takeaways from this, uh, this is going to be, if the season gets to be played as normal as possible, it's going to be a very exciting year in independent league baseball as a whole, but especially in Gastonia, I'm very interested to see how their game day experience is going to uh, be presented. Between reduced capacity, the cashless uh, payment systems, 
the open air kind of systems, the walk around concourse. It's a very modern design and I'm extremely interested to see that game day experience and how it's going to wind up uh, working out. And like I said, they're in very capable hands. So I'm extremely interested to see uh, what they look like in the season. I'm definitely going to take up David on his offer to have him back midway through next year because uh, he, he was a great guy to talk to. There was a lot of good information. It was a very good discussion. Uh, again, we appreciate him spending uh, roughly an hour with us uh, talking about everything and anything Gastonia baseball related. He's more than welcome back in the show whenever. Uh, and like I said, very off, very rarely rather, uh, do you get someone that offers to come back on the show and, right. and even put forth a date and time. Uh, so... Uh, once I get the new planner, I'm, I'm chalking them in for that nice early July slot here, maybe right around that All-Star game time to recap with them. But definitely, yeah. again, I, I think I speak for both of us when we appreciate him taking time out of the middle of his day to do an interview with us. Yep, 100%. Yep. All right, so we're going to shift now to talk about the Air Hogs. Uh, obviously, we talked about them in our cut-in section last week across the other independent league podcasts as well. It's been a hot topic of discussion. We got a lot of, uh, a lot of sources together. We wrangled up some more information, and I think we could kind of give a little bit more of a quicker overview of... Uh, of that situation and where we could possibly see this new expansion team going in Texas. Uh, so first off, it would appear as though the Chinese national team deal where they have their national team come over, play some games for the Air Hogs, and they kind of do that kind of player deal, uh, apparently provided a lot of money to them. Uh, I don't have the exact number. I heard several million tossed around, which is certainly possible. I don't, I'm not denying that, but I just don't have an exact number. And with that deal drying up and not coming back anytime soon, it would appear as though that really affected their bottom line. And I imagine that's kind of their death blow scenario there. Uh, likewise, it seems like they had past ownership problems that kind of poisoned the well of community support, which obviously when that happens, it's going to be rough. And then something else I didn't really even take into consideration was there's a brand new ballpark that just opened about 20 minutes away with the Texas Rangers and that's going to draw a lot of casuals away. Sure. It's going to cost more, but if you have your choice between going to a major league ball game and an indie ball game, and you're not really, I don't want to say you're not a fan of baseball, but you see it more as uh, an entertainment option than a game on a certain level. You're going to pay a little bit more to have, to let's be honest, a better experience. It's going to be air conditioned. Yeah. You're going to have more food options. And it's not to say anything against the team. It's just to say you didn't build a multi-hundred million dollar stadium. And there's yeah. no way, real way you can contend with that. Of course. I think uh, the, the, Chinese, the whole Chinese baseball partnership with them, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, um, to, to be honest, it doesn't seem like that partnership uh, helped on the field. I don't know at all. But uh, it, it actually, you could probably make the case that it, it hurt a lot. But there, I'm assuming there had to be something in it for the Air Hogs, and I'm sure that had to be uh, money-wise. But, but unfortunately, with, with this pandemic, um, and you know, there's less money to go around for a lot for a lot of businesses. I'm sure that that's probably what happened, and they dried up, and like you said, and then the Air Hogs just 
they don't have what once you take that away they don't have the attendance to uh to, to bring in money to help to help that and they don't really have uh too much too much support outside of that and so and when there's not a lot of fans there's probably not a lot of advertisers who want to or sponsorships that want to affiliate with the team and especially if uh, the ownership doesn't really have a great relationship with the community. I mean, you're just destined to fail, no matter how nice your ballpark is. And so it, it, it's it sucks for them, but it's uh, you could see that you could definitely see how how this happened, and you could definitely see the writing on. I'm sure they saw the writing on the wall once that uh, the partnership with, with with the Chinese baseball kind of dried up. Yeah, and I don't even think it was current the. Uh... I don't even think it was the current ownership that was the issue. It was just past ownership groups had kind oh, okay. of burned so many uh, so many fields where I think it was either unpaid debts or they didn't live up to commitments or it was an underwhelming uh, result from their partnership and whatnot. And uh, then they just kind of, the word spread across town. I mean, small business owners talk and small business owners are really the guys that are advertising you know you're getting the local law firm you're getting the local general store you're getting the local department store you're gonna get a handful of other big name ones you know your horizon blue cross blue shields your pepsis your whatever it may be sure but it's gonna be a lot of smaller local businesses and if they if the word spreads that yeah these guys are no good then it doesn't matter who's running the club or who owns the club that's been said across town and you're going to need to start building back from not even zero from below zero to try and improve that reputation. And in order to do it, there's really no way you could do it outside of giving really, really favorable deals to these companies to advertise for them and delivering on 150% of what they expected. And then just kind of gradually rebuilding up and through and that's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take five, six, seven years to undo the stains of the past. And yeah. unfortunately, in independent league baseball, you just don't have that kind of time. You yeah, need 100%. To see, you definitely you, don't have that time. You need to see quick turnarounds. You have two, maybe three years tops to really start seeing results start to change. And obviously, that's not a luxury uh, they had so it's unfortunate there and then i just wanted to touch on some possible markets i know i mentioned like uh Recheveron or however the hell you pronounce it park in dallas last time apparently that renovation plan fell through uh likewise there was talk of a team going back into fort worth that appears to have fallen through as well uh there needs to be a lot of movement there namely in the way of ownership and development however there are three particular or four particular places, actually, my mistake, that I thought could be potential options, uh, mainly Waco, Abilene, the Woodlands, and Greenville. These are all places I've heard before. Uh, Waco, it would be just outside, like Belair or Ballard would be where that would be, although they, they still need to build the ballpark, I think, so I wouldn't expect that one. Uh, Abilene, I don't know. If there is a ballpark, I know obviously there's, I think Abilene Christian is the name of the school, uh, division one program. Maybe they could use that field. I don't know. Uh, the Woodlands had some talk and some buzz about it. It's out kind of by Sugarlands around Houston. I know, which maybe that's a little too far. Same thing with Greenville. Uh, but they all have had uh, discussions about getting a ballpark there in the past. So 
maybe some movements happen there. I don't really know. Uh, but those are all options there. And then I also heard a really dumb rumor that Sugarland may jump to the American Association, which no. that's not happening. They're jumping to no. affiliated ball. We all know this. That's an open secret. Yeah, that's like the worst. That's like the worst kept secret. Uh, however, I think um, a little bit. I, I guess a little bit on that on that note. Uh, it, I guess Mike Ashmore reported a couple a eh, few days ago, and and Baseball America then followed up yesterday saying that um, that there won't be any because the reality is everything's everything's held up on the fact that. Uh, the MLB has got to be got to say, or the teams are got to say who stays and who goes. Mm. And then, then there could kind of be that mad scramble to pick up, to pick up different markets. And uh, that's not expected to happen until after election day. And even then it might be um, a couple weeks after that, uh, potentially. However, listen, at the end of the day, like, and Mike Ashmore pointed this out correctly, the, the twenty, the twenty, the the schedule for the twenty twenty Atlantic League season that didn't happen would have been released would like a few days ago, uh, in 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 twenty nineteen, and so the, the reality is is like these teams need to know what they're doing, uh, they need to start releasing schedules, they need to start selling tickets, and sponsorships, and and stuff like that. So I would expect some movement, uh, in that. Uh, who stays and who's who stays in indie ball? Who's going? Who's leaving indie ball? Uh, I think I think you'll start to see movement in that maybe within like the next like two weeks. Yeah, I I kind of expect it'll be close to Thanksgiving that we'll know. Uh, obviously, you want to be able to get your Thanksgiving sale and then your Christmas sale and then your New Year's sale. You need to be able to start getting these things going because that's a large chunk of revenue for a lot of these teams here. And uh, Ashmore is totally right on that. And I think kind of on the same note here, when you look across, because I know on the on the one the one podcast I was listening to, they were talking about how, oh, well, maybe there's a couple of markets that are in Texas that are going to become unaffiliated. And then the American Association will scoop them up. And I was just thinking, no, no, there's nothing there. Frisco is going to stay affiliated. We know this. El Paso just built a new ballpark. Sure, the pods may leave, but at the same time, the Diamondbacks will just take it. I mean, it's not that far from Phoenix. And at the same time, I think there's Amarillo, too. But Am- Amarillo's brand Amarillo's brand new, I thought. Yeah, Amarillo is brand new. So some team will grab it, whether it be Corpus the Rangers, Christy, the Ash. Maybe? Huh? Corpus Christi, maybe? Maybe, but that's real close to uh, Houston. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, so I would assume it would be like Corpus Christi. You'd keep if you bring in Sugarland, that'd be one, two, and then although Corpus Christi, I think, is a double A team at the moment. Yeah, they're current. They're currently at the uh, Astros Double A, I believe. I mean, maybe, but even still, I imagine that you could bump Corpus Christi down to single A, use Sugarland as your double A, and then you, uh, whoever's the triple A, would say the triple A. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I th- it's hard to see any uh, any market uh, in any, Texas opening. Yeah, I, I just can't see it. Yeah, I just I don't know where this market is unless they're banking on it being uh, Fort Worth, and then that fell through. 
but uh, who knows on that front. And I guess kind of on that note, uh, we can kind of leave the air hogs and this whole situation in the past until we have more movement on the Texas expansion and continue kind of on the same page for talking some New York Penn League. Uh, we got like 10, 15 minutes to talk about that. So uh, there was a Baseball America article I know. I read it. I'm going to defer to you to uh, take lead on this New York Penn League news. I know it's going to turn to like a summer collegiate league, something along those lines for like juniors or seniors, I believe. Right. Yeah. So, so basically the plan, uh, or at least it's, it's nothing's official yet. Uh, like for example, like the Appalachian league, which we, we've talked about at length, that's official. Like that's already done at at this point. It's basically the New York Penn League owners, were pitched on the, the, the idea of becoming uh, a summer collegiate league similar to the Appalachian League. But it, it's a little different in the sense that the Appalachian League, it was just a, the whole league is becoming, uh, becoming summer collegiate. But it's a little different in the sense that there are some New York Penn League markets that are not being cut. Brooklyn is a perfect example of that because I know we, we've already talked about it's like the worst kept secret ever that Brooklyn's going to become the Mets double-A affiliate and Binghamton is going to be cut. And so um, there's going to be, I, I believe there's, I believe Aberdeen also has a, is uh, more likely than not to stay uh, as, a, as an Orioles affiliate. Mm. Uh, and I think those might, those two might be the only ones, but I think uh, the, as far as the rest of them, um, they were pitched on the idea of being becoming a summer collegiate league, uh, mostly for rising seniors. So they, they, how it's kind of set up, I guess, is for for guys who are rising sophomores. This is the MLB's plan, at least. The MLB wants guys who have, um, like, they play their freshman year at college, uh, then after uh, as they're before they're rising sophomores, the top ones go to the um, go to the Appalachian League. Then, uh, then any the top rising juniors go to the Cape Cod League, and uh, up in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. and then the top rising seniors would play in the New York Penn, uh, which would be the old New York Penn League summer collegiate league. So I think, uh, listen, the, the it, at the end of the day, it's the MLB trying to keep baseball in the mar- in markets. I don't know how well it'll do in certain markets, for example, like Staten Island that are already struggling. I don't know if, if you take the Yankees logo away from a team like that. I, I don't see how you can get more than like, like 500, 600 fans a night. I'm being serious about that. Yeah. But, um, so, I mean, that, that's kind of where we're at now. And I think it's definitely a realistic possibility because what, what leverage does the, the, what leverage these do teams have no leverage have at this point? Yeah, they have. The, yeah. So, it's basically the team, any New York Penn League team that doesn't stay as an affiliate, uh, the like the Brooklyn's or maybe Aberdeen as well. I think you're looking at, um, I think you're looking at them becoming New- the New York Penn League becoming uh, a summer collegiate league for um, for ri- the top rising seniors, college seniors in the country. Now, would it be juniors going into their senior year? Like guys going, who just finished their guys who just finished their junior year okay. and who are about to enter their senior year. All right, so they're going into okay. Because I was gonna yeah. say if they're already completed their senior year, uh, it'd be kind of defeating the purpose. It'd just be an indie ball league at that point. But uh, yeah, but yeah, no, I it is interesting. I think it could work. Uh, in the same sense, though, I feel like if you're kind of a more northern 
New York Penn League team, like if you're Hudson Valley or something like that, I feel like there's enough competition around you where you're close enough where you can conceivably go, oh, if I wanted to see a summer collegiate team, I could go to, say, the Cape Cod League that has more of a prestige built up to it. And if I remember right from the article, there was only like a three-year guarantee as to how long that would work. Yeah, and then that 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 was that was um. That's a huge sticking that's point. That's what the owners were not happy with. That was one part of it. I mean, like I definitely get it though. I mean, if it's only three years that you're guaranteed to have this, it's hard to pitch it to anyone that may want to buy the team, and it's even harder to promote it. Going, look, you're not going to see major league prospects anymore. Well, not officially, but you get very good college talent, and then three years later, you go. Well, you're not going to see very good college talent now. You're just going to see average college talent now. Or three years later, you go, well, look, you're not going to see high-level college talent anymore, but you're going to see uh, some indie ball guys that may have a major, a former major leaguer or two. To constantly do that kind of to say, it's not going to work. You need consistency, and I can only imagine how much that's going to affect their franchise evaluation. Oh, yeah, I think there, there's no doubt about that. It's... There's no way it it can help their their franchise valuation, but I mean the, the I mean there is a there is an argument to be made that well the the expenses are are less. I mean you don't have to pay the players, uh, but I do think them losing losing money. I mean, is it better than being than having nothing? Yeah, but uh, I don't see how. Especially with the three-year lease agreement, I don't see how that's really a sustainable business model, in my opinion. It's just it's a very short term, and it, I just don't see how that's gonna wind up working. Although I do want to just mention real quick: Did you see the one article about Staten Island they sent you? I did. About them, oh. it's the perfect Atlantic League team. No, it is not. It is absolutely not. <laughs> I saw that, and I was like, "Oh, I'm sending this to Will because he'll have something to say about it." Yeah, no, th- there is there is no there is absolutely no way that that a team that Staten Island who already does not draw as a Yankee affiliate who draws like sixteen hundred a night who would be like by far last in the Atlantic League then you say oh here's an indie ball team and there would be there's just no there's just no reason for Rick White to even consider bringing bringing in Staten Island to the Atlantic League there, there's just no way with, with a stadium that's kind of falling apart like no way but its attendance is similar to Rockland's <laughs> oh goodness the Rockland's not even okay and 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 no the, the attendance isn't even similar though but that's what the article told me. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, the article—they need to do their research next time. They should, they should, they should have uh, contacted us for uh, for an inquiry for a comment. Well, because we're gonna tell them that it's not a good ballpark in a not great area, and can't yeah. out with an advantage of having Yankee prospects and rehabs. Yeah, they, they've probably never even been there. They've probably never even been to the ballpark. They're probably just like, oh, Staten Island. That's it. That's cool. I know there's a team in Long Island and in New Jersey. That's right in the middle. And then oh, so you, they do uh, what I did the first time I heard. I was like, oh, maybe that'll work. And then I was like, oh, yeah. wait, this is a garbage ballpark. No, oh, that's no. a problem. It is, it, it, it's a train wreck, to be honest. And, and there's no it's, there's no attendance whatsoever. Like, th- They do draw decently when there's bobblehead nights, but that's like three nights a year. All right. So they if they just run a promotion 60 nights out of the 120-game schedule, they'll be fine. 
I mean, I guess that that costs quite the money, quite the amount of money, though. Yes, but then the guy will be right. So I mean, I mean, I, it, that's all that matters at the end of the day. So. Exactly, being correct matters a whole lot more. So, that's right. Uh, uh, with that, I think uh, I think we covered just about everything this week. There really wasn't much in the way of news or discussion, but you got a very, very good interview. And again, uh, thanks to David Martin for coming on the program. Uh, we really do appreciate him uh, spending time with us. And uh, uh, with that said, I guess we could jump to all of the plugs here. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at IndieBallPod. Also, make sure you check out Gastonia Pro Baseball on Twitter as well. I believe that's their tag. Uh, you want to give them a follow for all the updates and whatnot as well. Um, <clears throat> likewise, if you want to follow us on Instagram, you could do so at Ball Report and at ALPB underscore news. Also, check out uh, Gastonia on there too. You want to follow us on the social media because that's where we promote... Um, all of the guests and all of the happenings. And if you want to get a say in who we get on and what we ask them, you definitely want to uh, jump on there uh, so you can comment and get your input in as well. Uh, you can also find all our show notes as well as all our episodes, articles, and much, much more on our website, IndieBallReport.com. And you can also find the podcast wherever you find podcasts, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podomatic, Spotify, Amazon Music. Like I said, anywhere and everywhere there are podcasts, we are there. Uh, with that said, uh, do we have anything else left to add? So my one thing to add this week is now with the uh, Major League Baseball season uh, being over, there is still baseball being played in the KBO. The Korea, the KBO playoffs start this week. So my one thing to add is, let's go NC Dinos, who finished in first place in the league and get a bye all the way to the uh, Korean series or the Korean World Series, if you want to call it that. So uh, let's go NC Dinos. See, I'm just going to toss in uh, a couple of things real quick. One, because I know I've seen this making the rounds here, it was not a bad decision to yank Blake, Blake Snell that I early agree. in the game. The analytics backed that up. And instead of calling them analytics, let's call them information because we knew it was coming down the pipe. Secondly, again, I get wanting to manage off of feel, but see the 2015 World Series underscore New York Mets as to how managing by feel does you in the World Series. For the Mets, it got us eliminated in five games, I believe two or three of which were in extra innings after our closer did not do well. You're no not. qualms with that. Also, if you're anti-analytics, you're just anti-information. It, it really is just a fancy way of saying mathematical information. And the numbers don't lie. And occasionally when the numbers get it wrong, those are the moments we all remember. But you don't get to the World Series by saying screw it the one team that said screw it was the new york mets and you saw how well they did yeah <laughs> and as a met fan it kills me to see that and i'm very excited that steve cohen is going to invest heavily into that department provide that gets approved so yeah i just Looks want like to- it's the vote. i mean the vote's coming in 15 minutes from the recording so i guess the the people will know before we will regardless uh, with that said, nothing else left to add. Uh, we will leave you off as we leave off every episode. Until next week, don't forget to play ball. <laughs>